Welcome to Buzzed with Brian. I am your host, Brian. We're going to talk about beer, the history, and drinking. Hey there, beer fans. Welcome to episode 25. That's right, episode 25 of Buzz with Brian. I can't believe I've made it to such a monumental number, and I have all of you adoring fans out there to thank. I don't know how I would do this every week without your help and encouragement and all the support you show me, so thank you so much. And with that, 25, we have a very special episode here. I have been kind of holding off on doing this style. Don't really know why, but I've been holding off on it. (laughs) So we are going to finally dive into the wild, wonderful world of the India Pale Ale. That's right. We are going to feature the India Pale Ale history today, as well as one beer. But first, a message from our sponsors. Menus. That's right. You need to have a menu in front of you if you're going to be able to order your beer and know what you're drinking. With the India Pale Ale today, we have a wonderful beer and a wonderful brewery in the Midwest here that we're featuring today. Looking forward to this one as well, because this is one of my favorite IPAs. I have not had it for some time, maybe a year or two now, so I'm excited to feature it on the show. But it is one of the first IPAs I had when I was down in Chicago. That's right, we are having Revolution Brewing Company's Anti-Hero IPA. This is one of their flagships. It's very tasty, and uh, it will speak for itself later on. So without further ado, on to today's show. All right, thanks again for stopping by today. Like I said, very excited about this episode. Really have been just chomping at the bit to get the India Pale Ale information out there. A couple housekeeping notes, though. There is a ton of India Pale Ale out there now, right, when we think about all the different varieties of this specific style. Today we are going to focus mostly on just the English version of the India Pale Ale. That's right, the OG. Um, Obviously there is some characteristic differences between the American and the English, but today we're just going to go over the English, and this will make a little more sense later on. So to start, the English IPA, which is something that's a little less familiar to most of us U.S. citizens here and U.S. beer drinkers, Um, The ABV is going to be still high, right? It's not a very sessionable beer, but it'll be between 5 to 7%. And the IBUs will be a little lower than you might be expecting, typically seen between 35 and 63 for the English, the original India Pale Ale. Now, when it comes to the flavor profile of this beer, it's still very hop-dominated, don't get me wrong. But obviously, it's going to utilize English hops, which are going to provide more of an earthy and floral note. Um, English yeast is also at times lends a little more fruity notes with some extra ester formation to kind of contrast and complement those earthy hop flavors. To summarize, there are a lot of similarities between both variants of this style, and I think a lot of people would not even be able to tell the difference. I certainly don't know if I were to do a blind taste test of an American-style and an English-styled IPA if I would be able to tell them apart. But if you're an IPA drinker and you like a little more hop forward in your glass, I think this is a style that a lot of people are drawn to and polarized by. And certainly this style is ubiquitous. I mean, everyone wants one. Every brewery has one. And certainly there is a lot of interest behind this style of beer. So with that, let's get into some style history. Where to begin, oh where to begin. There is so much material out there on this style of beer, it can be overwhelming. So I'm going to try to break this apart the best I can and still hopefully teach you a bunch of new stuff aside from what you get on the you know quick brewery tour at your favorite local stop. I have to give a quick shout out because a lot of the information gathered from this specific episode comes from a terrific book 
written by the author Pete Brown. It is called Hops and Glory, One Man's Search for the Beer That Built the British Empire. Um, It's a very witty book. He's a very clever writer. Obviously, when it comes to historical stuff, it can be a little dry. But let me tell you, this book, even if you're only mildly interested in beer and history in general, this book is a very entertaining read. So do check it out. I would recommend it. Um, With that being said, where do we all start? So I think our historical journey here leads us to a town, Burton-on-Trent. That is the town of Burton that sits on the Trent River. This was once claimed as the greatest brewing town the world has ever seen. It was home of the English brewing giant Bass. Nowadays, if you go there, the town has somewhat of an average appearance, but in the 1800s, it was actually celebrated as the jewel of Queen Victoria's British Empire, as it was bustling with beer production that would be exported all over the world. You know, the saying that the sun never set on the British Empire. Well, (laughs) the sun never set on the British Empire and there's always an IPA from Burton-on-Trent in hand. So how did this Burton-on-Trent come to be? I think that's our next question we need to answer. They say that at some point during the Dark Ages, that's right, we're going way back. (laughs) During the Dark Ages, there was an Irish nun named Modwin, and she was on a pilgrimage to Rome, and she stopped by this mighty waters of the Trent River, and she could not make a safe passing. So she walked along the river and walked along the river, And she spotted an island in the middle of that river and decided to make a crossing there. While on the island, she stumbled upon a spring of fresh water. We all know that water has miraculous healing powers at times, and sure enough, Modwin was soon to become known as a powerful healer by the aid of this water. So naturally, a monastery named Burton Abbey gets built there. And of course, with an abbey... There are going to be lots of thirsty monks in there, and (laughs) the monks are going to start using that healing water to brew beer, because they need to drink something. It was even said that these monks at the Burton Abbey drank a full gallon of strong ale a day. That's right, they had an allowance of up to a gallon of strong ale a day that was also supplemented with another gallon of weak ale. I could not tell you the last time, if ever, I drank two gallons of beer in a single day. It sounds like these monks were having the time of their lives drinking that much beer every day. So naturally, with that much beer drinking, there's going to be a lot of game talking going on, and the monks were starting to spit some pretty mean game. So much game that by the time the 1300s rolled around, word was getting out that the Burton Abbey was brewing some dangerously good beer. So fast forward to 1604, and now there are 46 breweries in Burton for a modest town of just 1,500 people. Most of these were small in a brew pub style, but it's still a lot of beer considering that roads were terrible back then and most of the beer was likely consumed within the town. However, occasionally a keg did travel down the Trent River and was served in London at one of their famed pubs, which naturally helped bolster the reputation that this town had and the well water that was there creating all these wonderful beers. Um, This water actually is a big part of the success for Burton-upon-Trent. There are breweries all over the world, including the U.S., today even, that will try to uh, manipulate and change their water chemistry such that it will replicate what is happening at Burton-upon-Trent. The water there, it just works really well with some specific yeast. It works really well with different hop additions. It works really well with different malts. Um, I won't bore you on the sciencey details, and I don't really think I'm at liberty to even be the expert to tell you about that, but just know that the Burton-upon-Trent water chemistry is very, very desirable. 
Um, and that's a big reason why this beer is so successful. So naturally there is a little bit of a time coincidence here, right? How can just these English pubs in London be fueling the juggernaut of this now Burton upon Trent pale ale style that will become what we know as India pale ale. So that brings us to our next question of who or what helped create this new type of beer. And that would be the East India Trading Company. You know, it started off just as a company trying to buy some pepper and other spices from a grouping of islands off the India subcontinent, and it ended up flourishing into an empire building company. Um, It officially started out in 1600, but rapidly advanced over the next two centuries. So just coinciding enough with when Burton upon Trent was starting to get more kegs out of its town. Um, And at the peak, it controlled half of the world's trade. That's crazy to me, half of the world's trade. And it accounted for 10% of Great Britain's income. Um, It helped finance the Industrial Revolution. It helped create London into the financial center that it is. And it put the foundation down for the British Empire. Like I said, the sun never set on it. In the end, though, I think we must be reminded that even though the East India Trading Company did provide a lot of benefit to England and the Western Hemisphere and just Western civilization as a whole, that there is a lot of dark history behind this as well. Um, When you take a deeper look behind it all, you'll find that this drive for profits and the control of the Indian subcontinent is stained with the destruction of the local economy there and the decimation of the native people to all those areas. And certainly these ripples of the actions that um, the British Empire took are still impacting much of how this area is in modern day society. So I think that's worth noting that we can't totally celebrate this company for everything that it did. To turn back on a brighter note, we will move back into beer. And why was this beer being brought over there in the first place? How did that come to be? So the first pale ales actually arrived in the 1780s, not the 1820s, which is the common belief. So a little earlier than most people think in the India subcontinent. And why were they there? So as the British Empire was continuing to, you know, populate the area more, there were more longer term and even permanent residents taking place in the Indian subcontinent. They wanted some creature comforts. They wanted a little taste of home and they were missing the English styled pub ales that were available to them back there. And they were just dying to have something like that in India. Certainly there isn't a good climate for hop growing and things like that to produce their own beer in that area, so they needed to have it be imported from home. Prior to the arrival of these pale ales, they were definitely drinking other fermented beverages, other alcoholic beverages, if you will, and part of that is probably what fueled them wanting some creature comfort. So when they first got there, they were served um, the native drink, which is called Arak, um, spelt A-R-A-K, and this is, or it was called, sort of the Indian absinthe. The method here of creating it was taking a flowering palm tree stalk, tie it upside down tightly with a rope, and let the sap drip down into a pot. Now, it is told that when fresh, this nectar was beautifully aromatic. However, it was often left out into the sun in the hot Indian climate, and a violent fermentation takes place. Um, The resulting drink is very potent. There are many written accounts of blindness and people drinking themselves to death under the influence of this beverage, um, just even within weeks of arrival, and it just created a whole bunch of drunkenness. Um, Aside from that, prior to pale ales being imported, they did a lot of importation of wine, and certainly some wine did hold up and a lot of it was drank regardless. I mean, I think if they're drinking the, the home drink there, they can drink anything, but the wines that were brought to the area often didn't hold up in the voyage some did but a lot of them did not 
as the journey would change the flavor profile of the drink and wouldn't really remind them of the taste of home. With that, that actually concludes today's history. That's right. We are going to take a pause here and keep your seatbelts fastened, though, because in a couple weeks, we will have part two. That's right. We are doing a two-part series of the IPA. There was just too much to do in one episode. So keep your eyes peeled. Part two of the IPA will come out in just two weeks, and we will also talk about the American IPA style characteristics and history there as well. So... With that, let's get into our first brewery of the day. Okay, so we have Revolution Brewing Company. That's right. Very excited to tell you a little bit more about this brewery. It was first opened in February of 2010 in the northwest side of the city of Chicago by a man named Josh Death. Let's uh, backpedal here for a quick second and start with where Josh began in his brewing career. Josh was lucky enough to land a job at Golden Prairie Brewing Company, no longer in business, but that was back in the summer of 1995. It was a very glamorous start to his brewing career as he was cleaning kegs and scrubbing tanks for that brewery. And he worked his way and he climbed the ladder and by the early 2000s he was the cellar man and brew pub brewer at Goose Island, another great Chicago uh, institution, where he was inspired eventually to kind of open up his own brewery. Alas, his first few tries at it didn't really work out, so he kind of just laid low for the next little while and continued to work in the industry. Fast forward a few years and he also picked up the role of executive director of the Logan Square Chamber of Commerce. That's right, just down in one of great neighborhood of Chicago there. It was during this time that he was serving as the executive director that the inspiration to open his brewery came back to life. Um, he stumbled into a great old building with some beautiful potential on the inside in 2008 and he said, you know what, I'm going to take another chance at this and we're going to try to open up another brewery. So after a couple years of planning and construction, we finally come full circle back to the early part of 2010 when they started pouring beers at Revolution Brewing. By the next summer in 2011, they had added on their second floor Brewer's Lounge and can they continue to expand? By the spring of 2012, they then opened up their production brewery in Taproom. It's a really neat space down there. I've been lucky to go once. You can see all of their barrel-aged process. You can see some of the fermenting tanks. The taproom is very large. I I urge you to go down and check out Revolution Brewing if you haven't. Um, And they've really continued to grow since they started in 2010 and made those first couple of expansions in the first couple of years. For the last 10 years now, they've continued to grow in production, and they've become Illinois' largest independently-owned brewery. And just this past spring, they've continued to kind of want to cement their legacy and cement their presence in Chicago by opening up another production brewing space in the city and just forever cementing their home to be Chicago. Um, I think another really neat thing to mention about Revolution Brewing Company is certainly their sustainability efforts. Much like other breweries I've highlighted on the show, Revolution Brewing Company also really cares about their carbon footprint on the earth as they continue to you know climb their production ladder and they're a firm believer in that sustainability um, they use 100 percent of recyclable packaging material with no plastic rings they also take their spent grain they haul it away and farmers utilize it as livestock feed instead of ending up in a landfill they have a whole array of solar panels that they have on the roof that help keep the lights on and the equipment running to create all of their tasty beer And lastly, and I think this is a really neat thing that 
I haven't seen any other breweries do. Certainly they're probably out there, but I haven't seen it is that adjoining the solar panels on the roof, they also have nine beehives up there that is managed and taken after by a local group. The honey then produced from these hives is in turn utilized in the brewery, and it's actually a component of their barley wine with honey beer called Honey Jacket. So talk about locally sourced, how cool is that? And with that, speaking of beer, let's get into today's beer we have. Okay, we have arrived. Our first IPA of the series here. We have the Anti-Hero IPA from Revolution. This beer is weighing in at 6.7%, and the IBU bitterness rating is at 65. Both of those are well within the realm of what an IPA should be, so very appropriate. We are drinking out of a 12-ounce can, a little short guy today. Uh, The can itself is very beautiful. It's kind of got some uh, war thematics to it with some hop soldiers and little hop paratroopers coming down of course the chicago four-starred city flag you know stuff is kind of just loosely layered into there into some of their themes and it says it's an american hop assault the anti-hero ipa so with that let's get on to the board okay so as we pour this out it is coming in at a very light amber color it's very pretty Um, it's clear as far as the clarity goes and just a little thin layer of foam coming up here some mild carbonation on this beer so let's get in for a little smell ah yes i mean true to style it is hop forward Um, let's get in for one more smell see if i can pick out some stuff yeah some really bright citrus notes Um, fruity almost with a kind of grapefruit-esque like uh you know aroma Um, A little bit what smells like fresh Bruce tree on the end there. A little Christmas special for you. Yeah, so let's get into a first sip. Mm. Oh, yeah, that takes me back. That's nice. One more. Yeah, so this this is a bitter hop forward beer. Um, When I, well, I will say that. 65 IBUs to be expected. It's not overly hop bomby, but it has some bitterness to it. The hop note that I get first is earthy, but there's some floral notes in the background. Um, Certainly some of that citrus wants to shine through, but there's a lot of good bittering hop on this. And then I think on the mid-palate, it leads into some malt sweetness. Um, Let me just check on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some malt sweetness, and it actually almost finishes mildly dry on the end, which I think is interesting. Body, it's, it's medium to a full body, and... Has some strong lingering flavors on the tongue as I'm kind of drinking more of this beer. Overall, the balance for an IPA, it's really well balanced, I think, between the hop and malt profile. It's not just a complete hop bomb. Uh, Drinkability, if you're ready to explore into the world of IPA, maybe you haven't tried something this bitter yet, uh, this would be a decent intro beer. I think this would also really pair nicely with some spicy foods if you're, you know, doing that for dinner as the hops are really refreshing and the beer could cut some of that heat down for you. So with that, let's get on to some ratings. All right, zero to five. I'm feeling a lot of pressure on this one because, you know, the IPA is such a romanticized style and I can't believe we're finally here on episode 25. I've rated quite a few beers so far and quite honest, I don't know if any of you care about my ratings, but we're going to give them out anyway. So with that, like I said, it's a really well-balanced IPA. 
I think there's a lot of things you can take away and like from this beer. I certainly am a fan of this beer. Um, I think the grapefruit nuts are nice. I think the bitterness is present. It's it's there. You have to know about it, but it's it's doable even for a beginner. And with that, I think I'm going to give it a very solid score, 4.0 out of 5. So with that, that's a review. All right, beer fans, that brings us to the end of this very special part one of the India Pale Ale. So that's right. Stay tuned in the next couple weeks, maybe three weeks. I'm not sure yet, but two to three weeks for part two of the IPA, where we'll pick up where we left off for the beer history and talk a little bit more about the American IPA style and, of course, feature another beer. So stay on the hunt for that. Speaking of beer, if you are interested in finding the beer we had today out in the wild, this is certainly a flagship of um, Revolution Brewing Company, so you should be able to find it no matter where you are. They're, they do have a beer finder on their website, Revolution Brewing Company, and they are available in lots of states. They are available in Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, their home state of Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and even exclusively Nashville, the city, and New York City. They must have a couple of smaller distributors there. So go out, find some Revolution Brewing Company beer, and you won't regret it. So with that, that wraps everything up. Stay tuned for the next part two of this. Stay tuned for next week's episode in general and follow along on the social media. Give me a like, a follow, a subscribe. Um, Also, if you are listening in on your favorite platform right now, give it a pause and give me a rating. I want to see some more ratings on the show. I think they're very helpful for me and I really appreciate it all. And if you want to see any specific beers, styles, brewery histories, you want to give me, you know, a thumbs up, thumbs down personally, <laughs> send me some send me some love, send me some hate mail. Either way, reach me at buzzedwithbrian at gmail.com. And with that, can't wait to get back on the mic here real soon with you all. Talk a little more about the history of IPA in part two. Cheers, beers. Oh.